0: Welcome to the Spiritual Geek Out Podcast. I'm your host, Diane Hudock, where we have fun talking about the phenomenal and the fascinating. From angels to energy healing, from mystical places to mystical teachings, this is a place where we nerd out on the science of the soul. Welcome to another episode of the Spiritual Geek Out Podcast. And boy, do I have another treat for you today? All I can say is get ready to receive. I feel so lucky that these two extraordinary individuals have been placed in my path by spirit and that they have been my teachers in spiritual psychology and that their work continues to this day to influence and expand my life greatly. My hope is that listening today, gathering what you gather, it will influence you positively as well in ways perhaps you didn't even expect. Doctors Ron and Mary Holnick are pioneers and worldwide leaders in the field of spiritual psychology, as well as teachers and facilitators of awakening in consciousness. They are renowned educators, They are authors and the founding faculty and co-directors of the University of Santa Monica, where they have designed, developed, and facilitated educational programs in spiritual psychology for the past 35 years. They are the authors of Loyalty to Your Soul, The Heart of Spiritual Psychology, as well as their latest book, Remembering the Light Within, a course in Soul-Centered Living, both published by Hay House. In this heartfelt talk, they break down with great specificity, the essence of spiritual psychology, the essence of deep healing, and the essence of you as soul. We explore some of the key teachings and principles of spiritual psychology, such as how our perceptual filters determine how we see the world, How you relate to the issue is the issue, the laws of spirit, and how despite popular belief, nothing outside of you causes your disturbances. We cover a lot of territory, a lot that I hope will break your heart open wide and serve your life and anyone you pass it on to quite well. That is my hope for you. Get a pen and paper if you can, or just listen with your heart wide open and receive. I hope you enjoy. Ron and Mary Holnick, two of my favorite people who, yes, who have made such a profound impact in my life. I'm so grateful that you're on the podcast because you have so much to bring. You've brought so much forward for my life. And therefore that has of course been a trickle down effect to everyone I teach, everyone I work with, my family, my community, and it's affected my choices for my future in such a positive way. So I'm just so grateful to have you and I'm grateful for the work that you do that has influenced, may I say millions?
1: No. <laughs> Thank no. you
2: so much. Thank you so much. And it's such a joy to see you again and to be here.
0: Thank you. Well, let's jump into all things spiritual psychology. Mm -hmm. People may hear of that word and they can, through their own perceptual lens, guess what that means or what that work entails if you take the path of spiritual psychology. And I'd love if you could break down first and foremost the core difference between Western based psychology and spiritual psychology. And to add to that, when I studied with you both in my master's program in spiritual psychology, in the beginning, we talked at length about essentially how this aspect of psyche or the soul has potentially, I won't say everywhere, but been taken out of psychology Mm -hmm. and just perhaps why that is and have you extrapolate on that.
1: Sure. You know, as you very accurately uh, report (laughs) the, the word psychology itself, if you look it up in the dictionary, it says, "Breath, principle of life, soul."
2: Psyche means breath, principle of life, soul. Yes. Yes. Uh, Whereas psychology really refers to the study of the mind and behavior. Right. And right there, I think we see that something of great essence really was lost. And it's and,
1: and it's good to ask ourselves how, why why did that yes. happen. Right. And the reason is because you can't you can't work with psyche in the context of science. Because because science as we work with it in this in in this level of consciousness is all about physical world reality and running experiments that can be experientially verified in groups. Right. So that we all do the same thing, we all get the same result. That is a a proven site uh, construct, whatever it is we're talking about. And if you think about it, that works really well in physical world reality. You know, we don't want some cars going off the road because the engine wasn't, wasn't tested in every possible situation. So, but to do that to psyche is to compromise its entire reason d'etre, its entire reason for being. Psyche is the basis of it all. But you can't study it scientifically because you can't run, <clears throat> excuse me, experiments the way you can, let's say, with physics or with chemistry. Got that. So... When we termed this spiritual psychology, the whole idea was to bring the psyche back into the science as you as you might think, to bring psyche back into a system that is verifiable, but it's not necessarily verifiable by scientific experimentation as it is through individual experience. Yes. So this was the, this was the whole uh, reason in the first place of going, of going into calling it spiritual psychology.
2: And to us, spiritual psychology really is the process of consciously studying and engaging in the practices of spiritual awakening, of awakening into the awareness of our essential loving nature And you're familiar with the quote by Tilihar Desjardins, we're not human beings with a soul. We're souls having and using a human experience for the purpose of awakening, which is really an opportunity to plumb the depths of our inner nature and come into the awareness that we are loving beings.
0: Mm.
1: Having a human experience.
0: It makes me want to add to that and just say, yes, and if that is true, what else is true? What have you made untrue? (laughs) Also, By the way,
1: the answer to that question is most of everything.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. It makes me think you can't think your way to God. No,
2: no, no. However, you can bring your um, thought process into alignment with the mind of God.
0: Someone listening and hearing that and maybe pontificating, how the heck do I do that? (laughs)
1: <laughs> great question. Great question.
2: Such a great question. I, I and I love the question because it indicates a curiosity, which I think is a great asset to anyone who's interested yeah. in awakening spiritually.
1: See, many people won't even ask that question because they dismiss it immediately. Mm-hmm. What nonsense? What new age nonsense? Well, okay. okay.
2: But to me, one of the keys is recognizing that as a human being, not only do we come equipped with a soul, but each of us also comes with an ego, which is an entirely different level of consciousness. And the ego um, tends to be very judgmental, very critical to have a lot of limitation and uh, a belief in the inherent unworthiness, Mm. which confounds things greatly. So here we are in a level of duality where there is uh, what we might call positive experience, but also limiting or what we judge as negative experiences. But yet, when we begin awakening, the heart opens, you transcend that duality and you begin to experience yourself as love, become aware of your essential loving nature, and you recognize that in other people. And part of the incredible power of this is that it it opens a portal where we have the opportunity to recognize that we are not victims. Mm -hmm. We are not victims, that we are creators and through our thoughts and our actions and our beliefs, we are creating all the time. Mm.
0: This week, I've been working a lot with my clients. And as I was mentioning, I just got back from a trip in Hawaii. So it's on my mind and it's in my consciousness the teachings of Ho'oponopono. And when I think of my experience at USM, I think now in hindsight, a lot of that is very synonymous with Ho'oponopono in that we are 100% responsible for everything we create in our life, no exceptions. And of course, Dr. Hugh Len, we we'll get the question, well, what about people that have been raped? What about the Holocaust? What about the guy who slammed into me and broke my back in a car accident? And the list goes on and he'll say, no exceptions. And just like he healed, and you mentioned this in our school, how he healed all those inmates or, or patients in the um, mental hospital, without ever meeting them, because he knew that they had a shared memory. And what was it about him? What was he holding on inside of him that he had the responsibility to unjar and dissolve and transmute so that he could untether all those in the hospital and free them. And I think that's a very radical approach that a lot of people have a hard time kind of digesting. (laughs) You can't tell me that my whole family in the Holocaust got wiped out because it was my fault. And then, of course, we have to break it down. Can you break that down for those? Sure. Well,
2: First, uh,
0: yeah.
1: Who you want? Go ahead. Go ahead. Brian. First of all, we say it's not your fault. Yes. That yes. would be part of an illusion. It's not, there is no fault. I mean, it's a big jump to consider the possibility that everybody involved in everything going on on this planet, then and now and always, is a learning opportunity or an opportunity for uh, completing something that got started in some other lifetime. I mean, there we go, other lifetimes, that's that's a big one for a lot of people yeah. Uh, but nevertheless, it, it it commands that we open up to the possibility that we are in an ongoing evolution, life to life to life to life. Now, I remember one of the first things my first teacher used to share with us that when I first heard it, I said, whoa. She said, you have no idea how many souls are fighting or vying was the word she used, are vying to get into physical manifestation at this time because of the amazing opportunity that is being presented here as we go from one age into another, or from one yuga into another, as it's referred to. It's a huge, it's a huge shift. And, I th- and this is what we're all going through. Mm. And- are you, are you meaning to tell me that all those people in Ukraine that are going through all of this thing are mm-hmm. part, part of some kind of spiritual curriculum? I'm afraid I am. Yeah. And that there's opportunity in it. I'm afraid I am.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I felt I got that teaching head on into my heart. No exaggeration. In my second year of USM, when I had a miscarriage the day before the weekend, I don't know if you remember when I stood up on the bike. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And um, even now it was so powerful because I understood the value and the, the gift of my own life and how, you know, we... So many women naturally have miscarriages. They're more common than people realize. 50% of uh, uh, pregnancies end up in miscarriage. And maybe that number's more now. I don't know. But the point I'm getting at is that the fact that we even made it through the birth canal, through that portal into life, is in and of itself a miracle, and like you say we get that spiritual amnesia where we forget our own magnificence Mm -hmm. so it's a practice of remembering and i remember quite well as i'm speaking as you can tell in my voice the potency that i had of that weekend where i realized as i felt the energy of my daughter grace come through and say no this had to happen as an agreement You had to, I had to leave so that you could stay and recognize the gift of your own inheritance and your own incarnation. Mm -hmm. And so you had to lose so that a life so that you could gain your own.
2: (laughs) It really is so radical. And yet. You're sharing this experience. What a, what a powerful experience. What a vulnerable experience, Diane. And, you know, as I, as I hear what you're sharing, it sounds like it brought you into a very deep realization that that experience too was for you. hundred
0: yeah. percent. And I wouldn't want it any other way. I, it was for me. I asked for it on some level and I f- feel I needed it. It was necessary for my own unfoldment on ways that I don't even need to understand, but know in my heart as, as true.
2: Yeah. Beautiful and well said, Diane. And it's so powerful. Uh, and and what you're sharing also is a great example of the of the distinction between collapsing and feeling totally victimized by an experience of that nature. Why did this happen to me? What did I do wrong? What am I being punished for? As uh, compared with, wow, this is really painful, and is taking me to a very deep place within my own consciousness. How how is this intended to serve me? How can I use this somehow for my growth, learning, and upliftment? Not as a spiritual bypass, and not as a way of glossing over everything that gets surfaced inside. To an experience like this.
0: To your point, that experience was, and you even mentioned it in the moment, as I felt that enormous amount of energy move through me, that was very uncomfortable, but very necessary. And it was the energy of grace. And as I probably mentioned in that moment in front of the whole room, I was trying to decide whether to call her Avalon or Grace. And she said, call me Grace. And it was grace moving through me. And I can say with a hundred percent, just again, knowing that I know what grace feels like, and it doesn't necessarily mean or have to look like something really sweet and easy. It can be really enduring and difficult and yes, yes, beautiful. Yes.
2: I remember one time we were sitting with our spiritual teacher and a couple of other people, and it was uh, uh, it was a challenging conversation that was taking place between us and these other people. And at a certain point, I looked at our spiritual teacher and I said to him uh, something about, you know, a request for grace, and he just said to me, Mary this is the grace. Mm. And so I really relate to what you're saying that sometimes it may come in a form that isn't necessarily comfortable at all, but yet it is somehow transcending and helping complete and also helping hone or refine our consciousness in a way that we actually are cleansing the lens of our own perceptual filter such that we can really see through the eyes of love, see through soul-centered eyes, see more of the spiritual context, see more, uh, look more at life from the view of this planet is an incredible classroom. It's an incredible school with many different classrooms actually. And people are each here with their own curriculum, what they're learning, what they're healing, and also what they're here to contribute. <clears throat> and I think that, that to me is something that I find so uplifting and beautiful because it helps me see myself and others in a more whole and dimensional way, to see the wholeness and the holiness and the courage of people, souls, who choose to come to this school Uh, not only for their own healing and growth, but also because they came to share something. They came to contribute. And there's so many inspiring examples of that.
0: Mm. Yes, thank you for that.
1: Imagine a school with seven plus billion classrooms all going on (laughs) at once.
0: (laughs) I can't.
2: All being perfectly orchestrated. (laughs)
0: That does sound like heaven on earth. <laughs> <Brilliant>.
2: <laughs> well, you know, there should we surely have that opportunity.
0: You say that everything in physical world reality exists for the sole purpose of our spiritual growth and upliftment. And there's a great model that you refer to in spiritual psychology, which is around something called the goal line and the soul line. Mm-hmm. Could you expand
1: on that. Sure. See, in order to talk this way about spirituality, and then earthly reality, we have to have a context for each. The goal line is what life on earth to most people is all about, and that is achieving goals, earning the most amount of money, being the best at this or that or the other thing that would be the goal line of life. The soul line of life is to how, is all about how you use things going on on the goal line for the purpose of your own spiritual evolution. So that would be the soul line. The soul really doesn't care if you're a pauper or a a billionaire. It's not interested in that. in fact, my first teacher used to say, you know, people who are billionaires in this lifetime, and, and she didn't mean just that group with wealth, spirit is watching very carefully what they do with it. Mm. And those that spend it just on their own personal aggrandizement and don't use their wealth to assist in the evolution of consciousness on the planet or for the highest good of all concern, in their next lifetime, those people will be paupers because they have to learn the other side. Right. From spoke from souls perspective, everything that goes on on this level is not really an accurate measure of what a soul is really learning here. Right. And so we make that's the distinction we draw, and as you as you are well aware, uh, the way that we present spiritual psychology is, hey, let's work on both lines at the same time.
2: And to add to that a bit, the goal line includes it includes as Ron said, physical world reality. It includes our health. It includes our finances. It includes our work, it includes our relationships, and how do the two relate? Well, um, one of the things we sometimes say, and I'm sure you've heard us say it, Diane, is that unresolved issues aren't in the way, they are the way. Mm -hmm. And our experience in physical world reality often will tend to trigger unresolved issues inside of us. And you know our orientation is that life really proceeds from the inside out. Yes. That what resides inside of us as crystallized energies, as our spiritual contracts, some people would call it, really becomes the attractor field of people and experiences. And so if someone, um, I'll use a very simple example, deals with a uh, an experience where they find themselves reacting to criticism, maybe from their partner, maybe it's in their work environment. It's an incredible opportunity to look at, well, how how am I relating with criticism inside of me? Are there experiences I've had or am having where I tend to be judgmental and critical of others? Do I tend to be judgmental and critical of myself? And then how can I begin to work to transform that inner reality that is critical, judgmental, uh, harsh, unkind Mm. into uh, a more loving way of relating with myself? And for us, of course, the key really is compassionate self-forgiveness.
1: We were uh, in a meeting with John Roger once with another couple. Didn't have anything to do with us, the other couple. They were there on a separate, their business. So we were just observing at that point. And this man just really started to get upset and angry as he was sharing with John, telling him his point of view and what his position. And John Roger just very calmly looked at him and he said, I really hear I really hear your information. What do you want me to do with your emotions?
2: With your anger. Oh, that's slicing it pretty thin. Oh. Isn't that a gorgeous response?
0: That makes me think of that story, that parable of the monk. I'm going to butcher it to death, so I try not to go too deep. But you'll probably know what I'm talking about, where they were crossing the river. Yes. Talking about, and he said, well, I'm yeah. not, yeah.
2: Yeah, and there were two monks, and one of them, uh, though they were not to touch women, there was a woman who needed passage, and he agreed that he would transport her through the water across the river, and they got to the other side. And the other monk began condemning him, judging him, telling him how he had broken his sacred vow and all of this, and <laughs> and the the monk who had carried the woman. he looked looked at his fellow monk and said to him, you know, I set her down when we reached the other side. You're still carrying her.
0: Oh, that's so beautiful.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, Ron, I always think sometimes you, you pop into my mind. You both pop into my mind from time to time, naturally. But I remember you saying one time, Anywhere that there is a charge, there's a judgment. That's right. And for those listening, as it relates to the subject of curriculum or unresolved issues, Mm -hmm. and they're thinking, I don't know what my unresolved issues are. This is all very new for them. How do they find or discover or unpack what their curriculum or unresolved issue is?
1: Well, I mean, that's a great question. In fact, you probably remember this book <laughs> called right there. Loyalty to Your Soul, uh, which when it was published, I don't know, 20 years ago now, uh, by Hay House, was a best-selling book. We we explained a lot of it in there, and for people who are interested and aren't aware of that, uh, <laughs> you can get the book on it audio or however they do it these days. I don't even know. We've lost track. But I was just looking at it before we were talking. I said, wow, I'm going to read this book. <laughs> this, is really, this is really a good book. See, it, it requires one must start by taking a gamble. And the gamble is that what if there basic philosophy of what they've been taught about what life is all about is flawed because it's an inaccurate representation of the greater reality that exists. And I was talking about that with someone today. And I said, you know, in order to maintain the earth school, you have to have a positive and a negative.
2: Right.
1: If you didn't have the, the polarity of the positive and the negative, if you if everybody was a loving spiritual being, there'd be no need for the Earth School. Yeah. Unless it was a vacation or some <laughs> sort, you know. And we'd all get bored. <laughs> yeah. Yes. We'd all get bored, you know. So we have to have this, and. It's also important that to have this, people can't be aware of it, or not too many of them. Mm-hmm. Because if there were too many people aware of it, then there it would stop functioning as in the way that it does. So there can, there, there can we can't really all ascend into into heaven or into higher consciousness at once. Unless we all decide to leave the school and go into the greater uh, awareness that is, the in fact, what we all are con- conceived of. We are all loving beings. We are divine, loving beings having a human experience. Well, if you knew that going in, why would you go there? <laughs> you, know? you
2: know, what I would add to this, how, you know, how do you begin to, identify what are your issues? What are your opportunities?
1: That's a good question.
2: One of the most simple ways is to begin to notice when you find yourself upset, and maybe even I'm upset because I'm pointing towards someone else, blaming them, judging them, or feeling victimized by a situation or circumstance. Because that right there really is indication of opportunity for healing, for greater freedom. Um, You know, it's it's like the shift from believing in a reality where you're a victim and things happen to you and it's other people's fault or it's the Mm -hmm. government's fault Mm -hmm. or... It's um, someone else's responsibility to really a radical paradigm shift that I am a cause in my universe. Mm -hmm. I'm a creator. Life proceeds from the inside out. That life really is a mirror reflecting to me both the beauty and majesty of who I am and the areas where I have opportunity for healing, where I have unresolved issues, that that to me is a, it in a nutshell, Diane.
0: Yeah, I really hear that. It makes me think of your the principle: uh, nothing outside of you causes your disturbances. That's right. Yes,
1: that's right.
2: Yes, that is so <clears throat> powerful. If somebody is willing to consider that, because that is a huge. It's a game changer. Personal responsibility is foundational to the the work of being able to awaken and grow spiritually and also to get free, to get free of the reactive patterns, to get free of the serial relationship where the same thing keeps happening over and over and over. You may have changed partners, but the pattern didn't change. Why not? Because it's inside of you.
0: Right, I think of Doctor Hulan when he says, "Have you ever noticed that whenever you have a problem, there you are? <laughs> <laughs> you're always there.
2: Yes, yes.
0: And so and, you're the common denominator.
2: <laughs> yes, and and you know, it's in a way, it's so simple, but it really offends the ego. Yes, it very uh, uh very offensive to the ego. What? I'm responsible. No, no, no. That can't possibly
0: be. The mental realm, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the mental realm, as far as I understand it, is the easiest realm to deal with because we have total choice as to what we think. That's right. Can you expand on that? And then the flip of that, what's the hardest realm, if that's even measurable?
2: Wow. Well, I I love to work with people in the mental realm because it's uh, it's fun and it can uh, it can just open people's eyes in such powerful ways. Because there's the opportunity to start identifying the limiting beliefs, the misinterpretations of reality, those those beliefs that populate the lens of perception that then color what we experience. Um, um, To me, the most difficult realm is the unconscious because it's outside conscious awareness. However, there are tools that are designed to assist people in clearing the unconscious. And um, I think projection is one of the Learning how to work with, to recognize when projection is operating and to take responsibility for the projection, to bring it back inside oneself uh, is one of the ways that you can begin to recognize the unconscious material. But a, another tool, and I know you're familiar with it, Diane, that of course we teach is freeform writing.
0: Yes. Yes.
2: So if somebody is upset or somebody just wants to do freeform writing to create a, a safe and sacred space to center themselves, to invoke the presence of love, to be, allow themselves to just write whatever comes forward without it needing to make sense, without it being complete sentences, can be sentence fragments. Mm-hmm. It's like a really good tool when people feel upset. Because it's a way. If they have the intention to release the disturbance, then that, they can do that.
1: But the the first thing, and this is why this is so powerful, is that you have to let the you have to let the disturbance emerge. Right. Because until it emerges, until it emerges, you really don't know that it's there because it's in the unconscious. That's why it's there. So in the these practicums that we that we used to do I don't know if if you go back that far or not She does <laughs> in the desert you remember
0: Oh I do
1: <laughs> and how we used to give people total freedom to just really let it out Yes and it was it was by we didn't try to stop them when they did that we encouraged them because we wanted them to go as deeply as possible and more more often than not at some point when, it's, when the, it, it seemed to us, the facilitators, that they have gone to the depth of where they're going to go, you know, we then started asking them, well, what is there anything coming forward from inside of you? And it was at those times that the authentic self would emerge and talk about its truth And to and which was just real reinforcement for letting go of all of that stuff that they had just let go of.
2: Mm.
0: I'm kind of playing the role of the novice here, sure. Time, and if someone's listening, they go, I don't even know who or what my authentic self looks like, yes, what it is what it thinks, what it feels. Mm-hmm. I get conceptually that it's unconditional, right. but right. I can't access it. Right.
2: Well, and, you know, to me, that is uh, that is um, such a wonderful opportunity because I find in conversation with people, very often with a little inquiry, we will discover an experience that they have had. Mm-hmm. That is an experience of the authentic self. Maybe if they've had a child and That's holding a good one. their mm-hmm. infant. Right. Receiving the baby right after the birth. You know, those are extraordinary soul moments. And I I speak to people about them some these this kind of thing as soul moments. It's moments when you're inspired. It's moments when your heart is blown open. It can happen through something that you see in nature. It can be through an inspirational figure. Sometimes I'll ask people, who inspires you? And what is it about them that inspires you? Because that very often is a mirror of the greatness within them. Mm -hmm. And that greatness very much is an expression of the soul essence.
1: Here's here's a, an easy one that many many people can relate to, and it has to do with pets.
2: Mm.
1: You know, think of a time when you're when you're playing with your dog, or your cat, or they're in your arms and you're holding them. What are you experiencing while you're having that experience? And for many, many, many people, I just love them so much. That's the soul talking Mm. or your higher self talking.
0: Yeah, I love that. That brings me to another principle. And I think there's a few I'd love to just touch upon here. And the one that comes up first here off of what you just shared is the principle that the subjective nature of personal internal reality determines mm-hmm. perception
1: that's right that's right see if you if you see something happening in your mind you're going to you you have to make sense of what you're seeing so your mind will make sense of it according to your story about what it is that you perceive. Right. And that perception will determine what, how you feel about it.
2: There's an image that I think uh, makes this very uh, understandable. It's an image that when you look at it in one way, it's a beautiful young woman wearing a hat. But if you shift your perception and look in a different way, at the same image, it's an old hag, really very unattractive old hag. And to me, that is a great example of um, the subjective nature of personal reality. And the viewing point is inside of me. Am I looking through soft eyes, eyes of the heart, or am I looking through the eyes of the ego? in a judgmental critical kind of way Mm. profoundly different in terms of the experience that we have. And it's so incredible. And this is part of what I love about working with people is the subjective nature of personal reality because everyone has a story. Yes. Everyone has a story. They have an amazing story. And as you work with them, to help unravel their story and to release the limitation, the misunderstandings, the judgments they place against themselves, what they took certain experiences that they had to mean about them, then that have become that inherent story of somehow less than, yeah. shame, guilt. Um
0: that brings me to the next principle that comes to mind, which is how you relate to the issue is the mm-hmm. issue.
1: How you relate to the issue is the real issue. And how so, you
2: relate to yourself while you go through the issue. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Is, is also the opportunity. You know, uh, you're you're sharing what you did about the miscarriage is such a beautiful example of this, Diane. Mm. Because you could have related within yourself. Obviously, I'm sure there was deep grief and a sense of loss. And yet at the same time, there was this higher awareness. This is for me.
0: Yes. It was a
2: grace action. That is a beautiful example of how you relate to the issue is the issue, because it would be possible to go through a miscarriage and to collapse into self-judgment, self-blame, to make yourself wrong, to somehow use it to negate your own value, your own womanhood. I mean, it, it could play so many different ways. But yet you recognize this This is what is, and, and really you embraced it. You accepted it. Hmm. It does not mean you glossed over it and didn't have the process that you experienced inside, but you knew there was a knowing in your heart that there was higher purpose.
0: Yeah, thank you. That's well said. You're making this very easy for me because it brings me to the (laughs) next teaching or principle, which I love so much, which is a life filled with acceptance. is a life devoid of unnecessary, unnecessary. Like I want people to hear that. Yes. Emotional suffering. It's a life filled with love. And in that moment, to your point, I felt such an enormity of spiritual divine unconditionality. I felt the love of the God of my understanding of the soul of this being grace as God loving on me, moving through me as a sensorial experience that was uncomfortable because it was so much for lack of a better word, energy. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. but mm-hmm. was energy necessary so that, and it had to be that big and disruptive so that I knew it wasn't mine. Yes. Like something greater than me. Yes. So I could dissolve any doubt.
2: Well, and it sounds like not only was it a profound acceptance but also surrender, Diane.
0: Yes, yes, yes.
2: Yeah, really uh, a, a quality of letting go, of receiving that extraordinary energy that moved through you, and of the realization of it as God's love for you.
1: And this is something that for many people it's difficult, because they can't understand how they could be in acceptance and having this terrible thing happening. And it's like, it's no, you have to be in one or the other. But the first law of spirit, as J.R. laid it out many, many, many years ago, the first law of spirit is acceptance. And it that doesn't mean that you can't be uncomfortable. It doesn't mean that you cannot like it. It just means that while you're having all those ego feelings, you're also inside in the place of acceptance. Really, every soul on the planet is in a place of acceptance every second of every minute of their lives. They just don't know that place mm. because they haven't experienced it and they haven't been educated that way, and the word education itself means from the heart, educare in the Latin. Mm. Most people have, you know, they just were never taught that.
0: It is an unlearning.
1: Oh. And the second law of spirit being cooperation can you then move into cooperating with what's happening? We had an experience this morning where we were going. To get Mary's hair done for this every, program. Yeah,
2: every Friday I go to my hairdresser in the Palates. Well, we drove down the canyon. We went through the village to Vanga Village. And the next thing we knew, the road was completely blocked. Wow. Completely blocked. Oh
1: my God, it's a catastrophe. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and not enough time to go do the roundabout route. And we discovered later. That um, Pacific Coast Highway was also closed, but it was one of those wonderful moments. It's like, okay, Okay. what so? So what? What now? You know. And within five minutes, we had an appointment in another salon
1: that was closed in Calabasas.
2: So you know, it's it's like there's a lot of power and acceptance. I mean, Byron Katie, what did she say, Ron?
1: I don't know. I don't know. What well,
2: you're... it's the one about uh, don't argue with reality. Oh, if you do, you lose. But, but only, only 100%, 100% of the, of the time. time. <laughs> you know, Which is a great example of what happens when we resist. Uh, Going to resistance rather than accepting and just cooperating.
0: That is so great. Well, what does it really mean to you to be in the here and now and why should we care?
2: Wow. Well, I would I would say um uh there's the um to reside in the eternal now as the presence of love is to be in God consciousness. Mm. That's a pretty good reason to care. <laughs>
1: I'll, I'll give you an example that just happened to me last week. We have an acupuncturist that comes to our home from time to time. And, uh, you know, he puts these needles in our arms and for various reasons. And then we take a nap for a little while and we, you know, and then we come back. And, of course, uh, hopefully everything is much better than it was before. You know? And so... I had the experience of, you know, it seemed like 15, 20 minutes when it, you know when when we were done. And so he's left and I said to Mary gee, uh, that was kind of I didn't I didn't go out at all. I just was seemed very present the entire time. And I said, how long were we were we lying down that way? Mary said, an hour and a quarter. And I said, that's impossible. It's just like 15 minutes. See, and there's no such thing as time. The only time is now.
2: And I think part of the, the the answer to what you're you're asking is time and space are two of the primary illusions that hold us into spiritual amnesia that hold us into... Uh, that hold the veil of forgetfulness in place such that we are preoccupied with the distractions of physical world reality as opposed to availing ourselves of residing in the here and now, in that presence beyond space and time where What can we say? There's just a different quality of energy and awareness.
1: This is the presence of love. This is why meditation can be so valuable for people. Because, you know, people who do meditation for long periods of time and have been doing it for years will tell you that you go into this timeless space. And you then and meditating in that space is what they is what they strive for. because what's well what's in that space when you go there well, <coughs> the absence of any negativity so you're you're here and now and you're just in the nowness of it all, which is loving. Yes, there's nothing else going on. Well, there really is nothing else going on. We just haven't got there yet.
2: And to me, what you just said is so important about the loving, that if your intention is to awaken into the awareness of yourself, of your soul, as the presence of love, uh, if someone listening to this is new to all of this, and they were just simply to say, okay, I'm gonna make that my intention. My intention is to awaken into the awareness that I am the presence of love. Period. The great thing is, you know, when intention is clear, the methods appear.
0: Ah, yes. So by holding on, by not forgiving. Yes, by being in our positioning. We are separating ourselves from not only our divine nature but from God's will.
2: Yes, yes, because that that positionality is uh, becomes a kind of resistance, kind of stubbornness or stiff necked. Um, uh, it's it's the whole thing of of not recognizing that uh, the opportunity really is to let go, is to surrender into the loving, not as a giving up, not as a giving up at all. Uh, Wayne Dyer says um, it this way, it's like we can be held hostage by the ego or we can be an instrument of the divine, of God. Yes. And to me, that really, really says it. You know, we can argue for our limitation, which then we are being held hostage by our ego. Or we can surrender, we can let go, we can learn that there is extraordinary grace and beauty in living with an open heart as the presence of love. Um, and, and to, the, I think there's no greater joy as far as I am aware of uh, then being used Mm. by spirit to be present with someone and to feel the light and the love come through in a way that it's touching to them. And you you see the grace of spirit at work.
0: Everybody wins. Everybody
1: Everybody wins.
0: wins. (laughs) Yes, beautiful.
1: And everybody does win in the final analysis.
0: Yes. You say healing is a process, non-event, which is pretty much stitched into everyone's consciousness after you experience USM for good, uh, good reason. And I just want to ask, what is the value of healing being a process and non-event?
1: An here's here's uh, my understanding of why it works that way um it's been my own experience as well it's like consciousness can only stand a certain amount of opening at one time otherwise you you know i mean if it happens all at once uh you know we we've read about people like that or what was the guy who was on the horse and got hit by the light and paul paul And he got up enlightened. That's very, very, very rare. Mm -hmm. Most of us have to work our process over time, and the reason for that is that if you if you went up too fast, it would be very hard to to adjust to your current reality. I guess so. So we go up in segments most of us we this is why there's incarnation because it takes time or reincarnation so we go up in in segments and i can i can tell you from my own experience that when you start to go up one of the greatest pressures that you experience is the pressure to let go of many of the things that you're involved with in your in your uh earlier lifetimes i don't mean in In in, physical physical world world reality Mm -hmm. you 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 have to give up you have to surrender things that used to be important but because of the evolution that you're going through you realize is it really important if i have the blue sweater or the red sweater we're talking about that that kind of i'm not saying you know throw everything away and go live, uh, you know, in the woods. But gradualness is an important process of this so that you can can live your life and grow and awaken at the same time. It's not an all or nothing. Yes,
2: that you really can have the human experience. And, of course, there are examples of people that did have a complete awakening like Ramana Maharshi. Ramada
1: Maharshi was one.
2: Um and and the Buddha really, I think, is an example of that. Um and there are others, there are teachers, some teachers, when you read about their process, like Yogananda, yes. John Roger, others. Um it's it's really quite extraordinary. Um I think there is a danger with this. And that's what I wanted to come back to. Ah. It's very easy then to think of it as a great path of becoming. Ah, the great path of becoming. And so then we never quite get there because we're always in the process, mm. as opposed to the realization this is already present inside me, it's already here. And for me, my opportunity is to awaken into it.
0: That makes me think. When I graduated Usm and uh, Dr. Robert Holden, mm-hmm. yes, and of course he pulled from naturally the course in miracles. Course in miracles, <laughs> yes. And what part did he pull? But the part that states that the light has come. Yes, you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait for a PhD. You don't right. have to wait for the house. You don't have to wait for the kid. You don't have to wait for whatever. You're already the light. The light has come. Let's get out of our sort of hallucination that we are running in this race of potentiality.
2: Yes. Yes. I love that. Yeah. I do too. I do too. It's... um. You know and and I think that's part of what has uh, really held us into doing this work all these years is there is just such beauty in being with people experiencing their essential nature.
0: Mm-hmm. I have two more questions that I'd love to ask you both. Sure. What perhaps has been your greatest curriculum in this lifetime that you're aware of?
2: I would say that for me, it had to do with visibility, with the mm-hmm. willingness to be visible, to open up, um, to be seen, and to, uh, to speak. In, in my childhood, I was an extremely quiet child, very inner, um, and and that persisted for many, many years, even through college. And by the time I was in graduate school, it was necessary because of my chosen profession and path, to begin to come forward, which was which was not that easy uh, for me. But yet I did feel compelled by the compassion that I felt, for others, and um, and the uh, awareness that there was something about being with other people in that presence that did lift them and assist them, and but if you had asked me in as a child, as an adolescent, even as a college student, if they had said to me. Mary, at age X, Y, and Z, then you're going to be have a complete course correction. You're going to be part of starting a soul-centered university. <laughs> you will become a facilitator of consciousness. I would have said-
1: You're nuts. <laughs> I,
2: I think you're looking at the wrong records.
0: <laughs> Mary, I remember you shared a story that stuck with me. Or you talked about, I believe it was maybe one of the first times you led a group teaching, maybe the USM work, and you asked John Roger, and maybe perhaps you're doubting, uh, how do you think I did? And I believe he said something to the effect of, well, it doesn't, or I don't know how they, how it landed on the, the folks, on the students. And And he said something to the effect of, well, it doesn't really matter what they think. Mm -hmm. It matters what you think and how you feel.
2: Yes. And, you know, the other thing I I would say, I'm recalling something else he said to me at one time, it was very early, he was observing uh, a workshop that we did. And he said to me later, you know, sometime later, when we were talking about it, he said, you know, you have extremely good inner knowing. Mm. Extremely good inner knowing. And he said, you don't have to be precisely on the exact thing. If you're close enough, the energy will move. That's all that's important. Ah, oh, that's great. And that was a that's that fair. was a great reassurance. That's beautiful.
0: What about you, Ron? What has been your biggest curriculum? Well,
1: I would say, you know, no one ever has asked me that question before. Yay. <laughs> so congratulations. I thought I had heard all the questions. <laughs> uh, I would have to say honestly that my biggest curriculum had to do stemming from judgment of my mother. Mm. So judgment of women and, and, uh, and that that took me a long time to reconcile. And it wasn't until someone suggested to me that I consider the things that I inherited from my mother that have served me very well, such as my sense of humor. My mother had a real good sense of humor. My love of music. No small things. And I started in thinking about all of the very positive things her her sense of charity i mean and she was she was
0: an she incredibly
1: was, good cook and she and she was an incredibly good cook
0: are you an incredibly good cook
1: <laughs> who are you asking
0: <laughs>
1: me or mary
0: no no that. the one
2: who really got that chin <laughs>
1: We'd rather order out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's easier. I get it. Well, one last question. You've worked with, of course, John Roger for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And he's influenced you greatly. And those that want to learn more about that can certainly go to msia.org to learn about that. Mm -hmm. But also just get a taste of that. Even in your work, it all comes from the loving. Yes. And he offers, if you will, and you can extrapolate on this, of course, keys, spiritual keys that serve us in our spiritual uh, ascension, inner in our healing, inject the positive attribute that you want. But when you wake up every morning, What spiritual key is most pervasive in your consciousness?
2: For me, it's very simple, calling in the light, calling myself forward into the light. In other words, offering a morning prayer. um, And that uh, it varies from day to day, but the essence of it really is to ask that I be cleared through the Holy Spirit, that I be filled, surrounded, and protected with that light, that I be used as an instrument of love. uh, I place other people into the light, people that are close to me, people that I'm aware of that have requested light, um, sending the light ahead for the day if there's some event, um, meeting, experience, whatever that's coming forward, I I would say that is the most foundational for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I I, I think part of why that's so important, I remember hearing JR speak about this in a seminar that we attended while he was still alive. Mm -hmm. And he said, don't think I'm exempt. I have to call in the light every single day. That was really powerful for me. It's like, well, if he's not exempt, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> who do I think I am?
0: Uh.
2: Yeah.
1: And then on the other side of it um, was a great quote by, I think it was Thierry de Chardin, um, who said, when you go to sleep at night, if the only prayer that you ever say to spirit when you're going off to sleep tonight is thank you, mm. that would be enough.
0: Mr. Mm. Eckhart, actually.
1: Mr. Eckhart. Yes. That's what I meant.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Ron? What spiritual key really drives your life?
1: Well, I would say where I've come to at this point, uh, I, I totally, 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 mm. it's acceptance. Mm. I mean, really, uh, it, it's like the realization nothing is happening that isn't ultimately for my highest good and the highest good of all concern. So just accept it all. Accept it all. So when you accept it all, if you're in acceptance, you're in the loving.
0: Yeah. Well... I could go on for quite some time here, but I know you have places to go and people to see (laughs) and things other than this podcast to do. So I'll end it there with a deep bow of gratitude for your cooperation here with me in your divine loving presence and sharing. I'm so grateful to have you both here together I'm so grateful for your work. And I know when I say that, I I am speaking from many hearts that have experienced this mm-hmm. work. And I just uh I just my prayer is that this work continues on to the end of times. So
1: And it sure sounds like you're doing a good job of it. <laughs> I I
0: I try my best. Of as course. <laughs>
2: You know, I, I just, what a lovely conversation a beautiful time with you, Diane, and thank you so much for what you're doing and for inviting us to be part of this. May I mention our upcoming Loyalty to Your Soul
0: workshop? Please do, yes. Yes,
2: we're going to be offering a three-day Loyalty to Your Soul workshop online at the beginning of September, September 9th, 10th, and 11th, and people can go to University of Santa Monica.edu website and learn more about that. It's a wonderful introduction to this work. Um, it's fully loaded, it's rich and dimensional. And, you know, as you know, Diane, uh, the USM energy field is so beautiful and elevated, spirit filled. It's uh, just a tremendous opportunity for. And- for healing and growth,
1: and uh, I've never heard anybody who went into that workshop. In fact, every class we ever did, yours included, we would start out. We would do a process, the very first process we ever did, we would ever do, which took people into that place <laughs> of loving inside, because it's designed that way. And the end of it, we say, how many How many of you had the experience? where you are aware that you are in a more loving place now than you were before the process started. And without fail, there's never been a time when every hand in the room did not go out. Mm. So if people are looking for an experience of what we're talking about, the basics, that would be a great place to have it.
0: Mm. That's so great. My life is better for it. And if there are no exceptions and we're all the same in essence, then everyone's life will be better for it. So I hope everyone runs, not walks carefully to you. (laughs) Mindfully. Thank you again. And I'll put all your information in the show notes. So everyone listening, you can learn more and click the link.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Diane. Love and blessings.
0: Love you both. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the Spiritual Geek Out podcast. If you like what you're hearing here, check out more by subscribing on your favorite platform or go to spiritualgeekout.com.